Good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this Hacking the Red Circle conversation, where we talk to people in the TEDx world you'll want to know better. The show is designed to learn what it takes to produce, organize, promote, and create a world-class event. If you're an experienced organizer, you'll get some great tips. Veteran organizers share lessons they've learned so that first-timers can avoid common missteps. There are hundreds of amazing people in the TEDx universe, and we talk to a lot of them. If this is your first time to the show, welcome. We produce Hacking the Red Circle every week. You'll want to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I I am so excited. Uh, as you all know, I've said it all the time, this is like I've got the best job in the world. And this, after what, 40-something episodes, I finally get to talk to my old friend, Remo Jufre, uh from TEDx Sydney. Remo, welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. How are you doing? God, you know, I'm tr- I was trying to uh, figure out when we met, and I'm going to guess it was uh, 03, 04. Uh, in Monterey. I mean, you've been around Ted since Ted Four, is that right? Yeah. Yep, Ted Four. That's right. Kobe. So last year, well, this year was my twenty fifth, uh, my twenty fifth year going to Ted, off and on. Um, but we met. You were, um, you were deep into intro networks. Yep. I think. Yep. At yep. the time. Yeah. Kimberly. Is that yep. right? Yep. 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 Still doing that. Still loving that. It's fantastic. I, you know, I used to love the. Um, I remember during Ted, there was uh, any number of times when they would use the the sort of visual iconography of intro networks to pick someone for a prize or yep. something. I, yep. Do you remember all that? Oh, I, yeah. what was interesting is, you know, a listener um, back in the day, there were um, stage prizes, um, like really awesome ones. And the way that uh, they had of picking out the winners was pretty non-Ted-like. And so we said to Chris, "Could would it be okay if we – you know, just did it as a project, a, a fun way to pick people. And we did it again with our pins and the way we match. And uh, it was funny because he was very involved in that design. And he, I specifically remember him saying, you need to slow it down when it gets to the final name. <laughs> yeah, but you remember when it, it happened like like ten times because like the first nine people were out of the yeah. room or something. Yeah, and then, then we... I think he was probably regretting that. So, that's <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, you know, I I have to tell you, you may have heard this through the back channel, but um, when I do the show, I I say to the organizers, okay, my kind of my last question is, if I had a, a magical red carpet and I could fly you to any TEDx in the world. Where are we going? Nine times out of ten, where do they want to go? Sydney. Well, it's crazy. No, really? From all over the world, they want to oh. go see our show. And and I, you know, I have a sense of why that is. Why do you think that is? Oh, maybe it's got something to do with being in the, in the middle of Australia and all of the other wonderful, like, creepy things that they can do down here. But, um, <laughs> no, I... I don't know. You know, it's different. Um, probably it is, uh, as you know, the, as you well know, the, there's so many different types of TEDx events. And I guess ours is a, is one example of that kind of high-end, highly produced, incredibly complex and complicated, large-scale 
event. So if you're going to like tick one of those off, um, then maybe ours is a, is a good one to do. Um, I was just but, uh, reviewing the live stream from your event in June, and I'll put a link uh, for everybody to be able to see that. And I mean, don't it's tell sick- Will Davis that, but that's fine. Yeah, I won't. It, it, Will We're Davis listen to the show. Down as soon as the videos. <laughs> Oh, right. As soon as the videos are up, right? That goes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but when you look at it, um, it's, it's significantly bigger than Ted in Vancouver, isn't it? Yeah, it was, um, it, well, the history of TEDx Sydney, the first three years we were at, um, a place called Carriage Works. <clears throat> the audience size there was 800. Uh, so it was a very heavily curated audience cause we had a lot more people yeah. who wanted to be in the room. Sydney's you know, a, a city of significant size um, and uh, with a strong TED following and a very strong and, as it happens, latent um, desire and need to engage in events like uh, TEDx Sydney. Um, then we moved it to the Sydney Opera House and the concert hall there, which is the most, you know, gorgeous room. Of course. Um, yet its capacity was 2,250 in the configuration that suited our show, um, and uh, but the Sydney Opera House is a performing arts venue. was never really designed for the purpose that we forced upon it. So the kind of the breakout areas were, were more or less all of oh, just the stairway, right. the stairway right. surrounding the concert hall. That's it hard. was very broken up, disjointed, um, crowded. Um, so we 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 grew out of the Opera House. Um, uh, because of the demand that we were getting from people to to attend the event, because it is just different than, uh, uh, as you know, watching the talks. Um, you get all of that connective tissue between the talks and the performances and the films, and uh, it's just just a different experience. So there, um, there's a new convention centre in Sydney. Um, they have a room for. Uh, that fits 2,500 people. Uh, but yes. we figured if we're going through the pain of moving, we might as well see what we can do to change the business model as well, become less, a little less reliant on partnerships cash to fund our event and a little yep. bit more um, reliant on, um, you know, for want of a better word, box office. Right. Uh, so we needed a bigger room uh, that fitted more people. And we, we ended up in a huge room. Um, that fits nine thousand people, but oh, does have God. does have a couple of configurations where they put up a black curtain at the back of the room, and you just don't know that there's another. You know, how many did you have in June? We had uh, four thousand two hundred people in the room, and so it's, double, it's a doubling in size. But because of the the pool that the Sydney Opera House has as a brand, yeah, going from Going from 2,200 to 4,200 is probably more like a four times um, uh, effort because of uh, anecdotally the Sydney Opera House just doubles doubles your demand because of it because of the because of what it is the iconic yeah. nature of the venue right you know? but you were still in Darling Harbour right yes it's just a, you know it's a new um, it's a new venue doesn't really have a, personality yet it's being <sighs> its personality is being formed by the content of the of the of the shows that are pouring in there but 
it's you know it's radiology conferences and it's I mean on the day that we were there, there were sixty thousand people attending one thing or another in the same in the same. It's complex. a huge place. I was I was there in that neighborhood speaking, doing the keynote for Digital Media World, probably fifteen sixteen years ago. Um, we right. worked with our animation software and all of that. So well, I, okay. I love that area and, and it's quite the draw. And I'm, you definitely have to save a seat for me because it's on our bucket list to get there. And having just looked at one of the talks in the opening and the, I'm, I'm right now finishing up our animation for TEDx Santa Barbara in November and working with right. a Maya animator. And then I looked at yours and I was just like, okay. That's beautiful. Oh my gosh. That's oh, just, yeah, the oh, sequence, yes. It's um, fantastic. But you know what? We always, the TEDx Sydney survives um, and, and thrives on the goodwill of the community, the creative community in Sydney. So we can never pay for that stuff, you know. So we right. have to find um, agencies who are looking to flex their creative muscles and do something um, of some profile and, uh, uh, but they tend to only do it once <laughs> because it just burns them out. It burns them out so badly, you know. Fortunately, we're in a city where there's there's kind of other agencies who can step up. But um, uh, as an organizer, you would know this um, that there's a shelf life for how much you can you can do for free or next to nothing. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so TEDx Sydney tends to be a rite of passage, not just for um, the organizational team, but also for those um, agencies that work with it. You know, they're, they're, there's um, it's not an open-ended commitment usually. One of the things that um, that you know I think about is: uh, are are we as organizers? Are we an event that needs an organization to produce it, or are we an organization that produces an event? And I, I, when I look at what you've been doing since 2010, uh, salons and youth and, you know, all of the events, are you an organization that produces events? Would you, would that be a fair characterization? The um, slightly different way I put it, maybe 12 months ago at TEDx Sydney 2016 from the stage in my sort of opening remarks was we, you know, are we, um, are we an event that produces content or are we a content um, provider, a producer that happens to have a big event once a year? You know, mm -hmm. so they're, they're, we actually decided to pursue the latter um, partly for selfish reasons. Um, we, we needed... Um, for sustainability reasons, we needed to beef up our organizational structure, which required um, the inclusion of a you know, small number of people who got paid something, right? Um, because otherwise, um, starting with a blank piece of paper every year yeah, yeah. and go, yeah, yeah. going from blank piece of paper to a team of 130 people without the retention of the knowledge base required to actually run this event was just proving to be, you know, impossible. Um, so how do we um, keep a 
handful of senior people busy throughout the year so that there's just not this one tentpole event um, that they work on and then they go away and they, then they have to take on other obligations and, and then we, we, you know, we lose our head of marketing or we lose our um, head of production. Um, so, you know, the salons uh, um, arose out of that. Well, they also arose for another reason. There was a big um, partner that wanted to um, get behind us and they were, we were looking for an asset for them to attach their brand to. This is Toyota Prius. And so, um, that, you know, we were initially going to do a podcast series, paradoxically, given that we're doing a podcast right now. But then we <laughs> found out that that was, um, you know, against TEDx law, uh, which we, off, we often discover a little bit too late after we've had conversations with right. partners. Right, right, right. Uh, so we had to kind of put that genie back into the bottle and morph that um, podcast idea into a salon series. So uh, that's what is it you think that? Um you know, you said you said um, it, it's very high end, highly produced. I I like you know when Kimberly and I talk about what we do, we you know we think of premium brand. We think of Santa Barbara as a premium brand, and and we've been going to TED for I'm 20 years. I'm not 25. I'm 20 years, and so you're always trying. You you know where that bar is set. It's set really high on on everything you do. Very high, yeah. What is it about TEDx Sydney? Do you think it makes you unique? What is it when you are talking to the team? That you, what do you say to them? Well, I can't speak for Santa Barbara um, and other, um, you know, big scale events, but um, we, from the get go, we attracted um, a very seasoned group of volunteers who weren't kind of starting out in their careers, but oftentimes had already reached the pinnacles of their careers and they were looking to give something back. Mm. So the from from two thousand and ten. The, the team was super professional, you know, like uh, so So I think that they um, have their own – the people who get involved have their own standards for the kind of work that they want to be involved in. And yep, so yep. everyone lifts everyone else's game, yep. you know. So it only really attracts people for whom good work is its own reward. Right. And so the people that get involved – uh, want to produce the best work, whether they be the camera people or the lighting people or the motion designers, uh, etc. So, it's um, n- not every TEDx event sets out to be that, um, or is in the position of being able to uh, lay claim to that level of seniority and expertise, but. That's and that was a little bit of an accident of history because I had had a previously very high profile retail business in Sydney um, that had that was well known and um, and well plugged into the creative community. So I knew personally a lot of the people. Right, you had so, a good network. I've heard yeah. that from so many organisers that the quality of your network dramatically improves. Uh, the quality of the show. And that's, you know, you're looking for, you know, uh, network nodes, if you will. So you're finding yeah. someone and it was something that was something a little different this year for me. Cause I rebooted the whole organization to say, um, I'm going to hire team leads and then I'm going to have them go find their posse 
rather than assign people to them. Say, here, go find people that you've already worked with that you're comfortable with. Yeah, yeah. And and we'll we'll see how that goes. The jury's still out. Um, after- well, I had my own my own version of that revelation quite early. Um, it was Ted, two thousand and ten, which was I think at Long Beach. But um, yep, it was. I I had just um, I was in the middle of you know final preparations for our first uh, TEDx Sydney, and um, I was I think having some kind of breakdown, you know, because mm. I was so stressed by the whole thing, sure, and um, so obsessed with every detail, and so unable to. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and uh, you know, I met um, I met a guy uh, at that TED, Rod Beckstrom. He'd written a book called "The Starfish and the Spider." Yep, sure. Uh, about leaders, the power of leaderless organizations, uh, using the metaphor of the spider. If you chop the head off a spider, it dies. If you chop the uh, an arm off a starfish, another starfish grows. Right. So, using a bunch of examples like. Alcoholics Anonymous and other organizations that don't have any like discernible leadership structure but thrive nonetheless. Uh, I read that book on the plane on the way home. Oh. And like literally as soon as the plane landed and I was able to fire up the um, phone or the email, I started shooting shooting them off um, to the team that I was working with so, you know, basically giving them more power than that they'd ever had before. Right, right. I, I come to the conclusion that in order to survive mentally, physically, I needed to delegate radically in a way that I had not naturally been able to delegate, you know, in my life, I think, to date. And and so that so I'm very much now about managing the relationship I have with five, six um, department heads and then giving them absolute you know, discretion and authority to, to staff their, um, their teams with whomever they reckon would be. So, so with, with that leadership style, which I appreciate, and I, I'm, I have that book, um, I confess I've not read it. I bought it on a recommendation, but uh, it's now just jumped to the top of my stack. You, when you look at the team structure on the TED page on TEDx Sydney, you have something I've not seen before, which is a chairman of the board. So how does that work with, with you being the leader, but then having this distributed style where you give, you have, you know, radical delegation. What does the chairman of the board do at TEDx Sydney? Um, you know, th- that's, that's partly about governance. I mean, TEDx Sydney is a registered charitable organisation in Australia. Got it. Um, there needs to, in actuality and in perception, be um, a sense that it's I'm not operating it as some sort of personal fiefdom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So. Uh, so so there. That's why there's an that external, I understand. That's why there are external board members and. Um, um, I didn't feel that I needed to be the chairman of that board, so because I'm the executive, you know, CEO or whatever, or whatever you would. 
When you look at all of the things, because so I'm thinking, you know, when you're in Long Beach, the weight of all the hats you had to wear was unbearable. And by the time you got off the plane, you freed yourself and yet you still wear a hat. And what's the hat that fits you the best? What's the part of producing the event that you just like, that's your favorite part. You're in your happy place. Um, I'm very good at the very big picture, like yep. the strategic, yep. uh, um, like in this case, it was it was the supersizing of TEDx the, Sydney and how right. to retain a sense of intimacy and the whole operating system that we came up with, which was this tribe of tribes, which we can kind of get into later. But you know that that was a very high level idea that then basically filtered through the whole um, organisation and the, and the event. I'm also very good at the tiniest detail. Um, <laughs> Uh, the you know the design of the notebooks, the kerning, the typography. The, you know, the, you said the, kerning in a sentence. Oh my goodness! Yeah, exactly. yeah I, I know. know exactly uh, what you're talking about. But keep me away from everything in the middle of those two extremes. You know, so uh, I think over many years I've learnt um, what I what I'm good at and what I'm passionate about and what I'm not as great at. You know, so I mean I've failed a bunch of times in my business career so i know that i'm good with the leaves on the trees and i'm good with the forest but i'm not great with the trees you know so <laughs> i want to see a picture of that what do you what so i'm i'm familiar i mean as you know i build communities so i'm, I'm the the idea of tribe is is very very well known to me i you launched a, a new uh, effort called general thinking uh Two years ago now, which is uh, you know about. I actually launched it seventeen years ago. No, like everything I do, okay. I just kind of parked parked it for ten years. And well, did nothing. I, I got my uh, my rainbow keychain uh, from uh, you two years <laughs> ago, and thank you. But what what do you mean, tribe of tribes, as it relates to TEDx Sydney? So TEDx Sydney, um, from an audience experiential point of view, and from a membership uh, perspective, has always had this kind of cozy community feel and 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 moving from an eight a room of 800 to a room of 2200 at the opera house we we were able to retain that which i was grateful for but then the question was you know doubling and tripling that again would how would we be able to do so how, how mm -hmm. could we avoid it turning into an anonymous trade event um with so many people in the audience which you couldn't where you couldn't possibly physically uh, connect with um, more than you know a handful of them, so um, so that was the the idea for the tribe of tribes was uh, to to somewhat arbitrarily carve our meta membership into um, fifteen um, affinity groups. Uh. Um, one was called Creative and Curious. One was called, you know, Technology in the Future. One, one was um, LGBT. Um, there was um, uh, idea sharers and storytellers. Um, so at registration, um, they would self-identify. Zero, zero expectations. Oh, I love that. 
Yeah, no, so it was a bit of a surprise. So what happened is that um, the a registration, um, they received a, a name badge with um, a tribal legend on the back because there was 15 color-coded tribes and a sheet of stickers containing the 15 um, circular dots. But the front of their badge was just like six landing spaces for six of those 15. Oh. So they got to actually physically peel off the creative and curious orange dot and apply it to the front of their name badge. And so to telegraph to themselves and others that, hey, looking, I'm looking for orange dots. Yeah, looking yeah, for yeah. orange dots. And the way we actually physically enabled the finding of other orange dotted people is that the breakout space was a 10,000 square meter exhibition hall concrete box and and within it we had 15 helium filled six meter diameter planets color matched to those tribes hovering above the space right so it acted effectively as a wayfinder for the tribal members and the cohort so if you wanted to go and hang out with um the creative and curious orange orange people you just like headed to that Headed to that planet. Oh my gosh! I know. So it was like that must have been uh, spectacular. It was spectacular. <laughs> it was spectacular, and uh, you know, I uh, we kept it under wraps until event day. Sure. I was so tempted uh, as a sort of a natural sharer. I kept getting photographs of these giant inflatables coming from warehouses in China, um, showing me what they were going to look like. Oh my god! Because the, the big red X in the middle was. Um, 12 meters high or some like stupid height um we're actually uh, and this is this is a scoop scoop attacking the red dot where um we've been approached by a couple of organizers who wanted to know where we got that um inflatable from. yeah 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 so what we've decided to do is share it um share the uh designs the schematics, the technical specifications, and even the name and contact numbers of the of the you know the factory in China that will make them, so that anyone can uh, this can be our gift to the. And so I'll get a link to that, and I'll put it out there because I'm um, I know that my my crew is already eyeing the street in front of the new Vic Theater, and they want to <laughs> okay. do. Um, I mean, when I when they listen to the show, they're going to go, "Yeah, that's exactly what we want to do, Mark. L- yeah. Please, please write us a check so we can do that." Um, yeah. In you know, each year you you set the bar higher. You get the team together. Everybody's excited. They have a great show. Then they go, how, how are we going to do better the next year? And, you know, and you end up doing, you know, each year it gets better and better. And, and that's part of the fun of this in all of that. What's been the biggest surprise for you? Surprise. Um, I think, uh, just generally the willing, the willingness, um, of people to, uh, contribute and share. Mm. Um, uh, I'll give you an example. The um, this year for f- like food, feeding and watering that many people is like right. an awesomely complicated exercise, um, and potentially an awesomely expensive exercise when you're doing it within a convention. Um, oh, of course. Uh, 
centre that typically has, you know, menu A, B, and C, and yeah, yeah. none of those options are cheap. Um, at one point, my, you know, head of production for TEDx Sydney reached out to me and said, uh, <clears throat> what did he call me, you know, Captain, or I can't remember what his nickname for me, <laughs> Captain, I need help. Pull out your little black book. We need um, uh, 500 loaves of bread and enough um, you know, croissants and we, we need enough product to fill this, you know, 40 meter long bakery station that we've, that we're planning for this, for the venue. Um, so I, um, called, um, a guy called Paul Allen, who was one of the founders of something called the Burke street bakery that has, a, an offshoot called the bread and butter project where they teach the homeless how to bake bread. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we kind of had a quick conversation. I told him what we needed. And then I just patched the head of production in on the call. And um, the guy said, yeah, okay. Yeah, let's Don't. do it. That's, that's done. And the, the, the production guy just couldn't believe, couldn't, couldn't believe he was hearing what he was hearing. He thought it must have been a mistake. He said, okay, so what do we need to do next? Do you need a proposal from me? Do you want uh, what information? What statistics? And the guy said, no, it's fine. I mean, we'll do it. I mean, we, we're, we're, a, we're a not-for-profit ourselves, and we typically receive donations, don't give them, but we believe in what you guys are doing, and so we want to be part of it, and so we'll be there. And they were there with like – 13 people fully staffed uniforms. more than you asked for it's pretty yeah, dialed more than that. I yeah. love so it. the um the head of production was like gobsmacked and said okay i'm going <laughs> to call you whenever i need anything <laughs> you know i hear that from organizers a lot which is just to to um not be afraid to make that call because it will surprise you how the how people are willing to support you know because they'll say yeah i've seen t- you know, I've watched a TED talk and I mean, we're going to have those in our town and oh my gosh, how can I help? And it's, it is a surprise. And they play it forward, you know, the, the coffee, um, we decided to focus on a single, uh, rather than the collective of five or six, um, different roasters, like we usually do. We focused on a single one, but then he went out to, his cafe's network in Sydney and said, uh, even our local one, you know, our local Bondi Beach cafe called Birashina, I'm there at TEDx Sydney and I hear this very familiar voice call out to me and it's Taylor and Bevan who work at, uh, own and work at Birashina and they call out to me, hey, Remo. And I said, what are you guys doing? He said, well, um, we got pulled in, you know, it's like we're doing our bit, we're uh, we're operating – the cafe here, which is being, you know, fueled fueled with um, uh, little marionette uh, roasted beans. So, yeah. So he he pulled it together, but then every single one of those cafes contributed um, their uh, labour, and you know, I think I don't know five six thousand cups of coffee later. <laughs> <laughs> when it, when Ted is kind of known, I, I think we're a caffeine fueled uh, organization as as attendees. Every Ted uh, I've been to, there's been great roasters and baristas that they bring in from all over the world who compete to be there, and it's you know it's pretty spectacular. 
but with all this good news, um, I'm my listener knows that I'm a. I know that under every pile of gold that you find in a big cave, there is a dragon lurking somewhere. <laughs> and um, what's the dragon that you either continually slay or the one you you didn't expect? The dragon we continually slay is, you know, financial sustainability. Um, and, uh, there, you know, the fact that there are no retained earnings or carried, carried forward surpluses, um, and things operate, um, more or less on a break even, um, footing. Yeah. And so, um, you know, and having, having been in, in, in business, in, in, tight places before in my business life. I know what that feels like and I mm. don't want that to, you know. And, and so the, um, if your partnership's cash falls short by 20 or 30%, um, you know, maybe you can uh, survive that. If, you're, if your membership revenue falls short the same amount, then, you know, when, when does that puddle become too too big to jump over you know so that's always an annual terror for me um yeah we always seem to manage to you know we all do right Uh, (laughs) um the um there's a lot of good stuff though you know um working with because the other things that i do in my professional career the online general store general thinking, writing, you know, my own writing, they're all fairly solitary, um, relatively solitary endeavors. Mm-hmm. So TEDx Sydney is the one thing I do where I, you know, I work with a lot of smart people. Um, and so I think I would miss that if I if I stopped doing it. <clears throat> Maybe the dragon is uh, succession. You know, trying to figure out, who could do this if it wasn't me doing this? Uh, um, that's always a bit tricky to think through. It, it you know, I uh, I think that's worthy of a whole show in itself to talk about succession because I I know that's a a challenge as much work as it is volunteer work. It as much as we love it, and we did three in a row and then retired. And then got sucked right back into the vortex a couple of years later because we missed it so right. terribly, right? It, it's just, mm. um, to your point, we, we have solitary kind of careers. And then the working with a team of people, especially doing a TED, because a TEDx event, it's, you're working with some, it's all about the ideas, right? But the speakers, that whole ecosystem, then the, the volunteers and the, the partners and the people that are attached to it are all, very interested, very high end, and the expectation of what you do is is so high as well. So, um, you know who who um, who's kind of figured out succession, and maybe that answer is there. It's the university events. Um, when I talked to uh, Herbert at uh, PSU, yeah. he has a fluid workforce, right? I mean, he's the only constant over the last seven eight years. Um, yeah, it's. And so what he does is each person has to hire the next person and replace themselves. And then they've got a full training period and they've done it for enough years now that they have mm. pretty much got that dialed and figured it out. 
Um, yet he's still there at the top of the food chain. So, but he's got it to where every single position hires an it's a recyclable resource. Um, and then the person who will be the, the top of the food chain has to shadow for two years before they come on. So, you know, okay. maybe, maybe there's an idea for you there. What, you know, when you're, there's, when I, when I look at the levels of events, there's the first timers, the ones that are, you know, they can only get to a hundred and maybe they're that way for a couple of years before they go to a qualifying event or they're, they've done that. Now they're where, where you are 300 to 450 to maybe 800. Then there's like that 800 to 1250. And then there's the big ones. And then there's uh, you, Sao Paulo and, and other ones. What advice do you have for the person who's listening to the show right now? They might be on a team. They might be running a smaller event. They're thinking, God, I, I might like to do the big event. What piece of advice would you give them? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I'm not sure like that there's doubling the size from the opera house to the ICC this year. <clears throat> the hard thing is the production. Um, so, I mean, the curation is the same. The, uh, like not everything doubles. Um, so I guess the advice would be, or well, we're still trying to work this out. You know, we'll, do, do we bring the head of production in 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 house, or do we outsource to a production company? Um, we had a production company that we partnered with for three and a half years before it just became too much for them, and they had you know decided to move on. And you know we always part we always part under very good terms you know but but then um yeah so cracking solving that production piece um is for me the hard the hard one um no not sure i've got very good advice there to give uh think twice i think 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 twice there you go i guess i guess the advice is it's hard to go backwards so Mm. so think carefully before you you step onto the growth the growth path you know like we our youth event was in a room of you know 1500 people last year so can we really jam all of that energy back into a room that seats 350 people if we wanted to simplify our youth event lives you know and disappoint Right. 1,200 right. uh, I've attendees, you know, so hard to uh, go backwards. So, so but I don't, having said that, I don't know where it leads. You know, you can, you can leverage, you can grow your event through viewing parties and uh, satellite events or whatever you call them and invest in um, increasingly high-quality um, digital content leveraging from the physicality which can doesn't need to be um you know ambitious at all so you can focus more on on the digital output rather than on the event day experience but um 
you know, the event experience is just something we've become known for and which we revel in. Um, so that's what has um, made it hard for us to sort of step away from that. So with ICC 2017 being the first time you, dub you double, you managed through that, it was just three weeks ago. Um, yeah, and we got our net promoter score back yesterday. I don't know. Do you do you um, tell me? What's <clears throat> your NPS? Well, what's a good one? I think I'm gonna. You know, you go and look at. Uh, I I didn't. I don't know what a good one is. I I like to be over seventy. You know, in some mm, way, no, like not over seventy. We're fifty. We were fifty-two. Fifty-two. Yeah. And I don't see, I don't know if that's good, bad, or, I mean, I like to, I like to read all of those, you know, we got, you know, I got hammered on a few things because we were, um, we were a little too much around personal transformation stories. And, you know, I survived this terrible thing and you can too. Yeah, and we, we had the same, um, we actually had the same issue with our head of curation, um, Fenella Kernabon, it's her first year. I actually did an outstanding job, but, um, through um, circumstances beyond her control, um, we had a bit of an in indigenous content um, on the stage in the form of live um, uh, speakers, but we also have this film program where an open brief is given to the filmmaking community and, and they make three-minute original content uh, you know, world premiere films for the event, and it and two of them had uh, an indigenous theme, so it ended up being like four four uh, components of the day's content um, were on an issue that we all f care deeply about the the treatment or mistreatment of our sort of original Australians. Yep. But it, it skewed it a bit for some too much in that direction, and mm. so yeah, so. I think finding um, noteworthy uh, science and tech and business um, and, you know, like wow, wow, jaw-dropping stuff um, is hard. It, and, it, uh, <laughs> if it was easy, everybody would do it. It's <laughs> not easy. It, it's so hard. Um, what, do you, what do you think? It's, I mean, it's really early, but what are you looking forward to for 2018? Um, well, I'm looking forward to a bit of stability. Um, uh, the 2017 was a really hard year, transforming from an apple to an orange. Um, mm -hmm. And it was painful because the, the event was also in, more or less in beta. Yeah. So yeah. there were um, serious issues with um, cable runs that – that hadn't properly been tested, uh, which involved hundreds of hours of line testing that we, you know, didn't think we were going to have to be doing, and plans that indicated that there would be three-phase power in a certain point, and when the when all of the broadcast vans turn up, wasn't there, and so they had to then patch it from somewhere else, and and you know there was 
hopefully that stuff is non-recurring. Right, um, right, right. You solve that problem once, and yeah. and there's so many but of just, those little things. Especially, I'm I'm thinking of the organizer who says, "Okay, I'm going to do a TEDx," and then they, you know, they get the license and they and then they walk into a world is like, "Oh my gosh, what? I don't even know what three phase power is." You know, <laughs> I know, I know. So you, I know. you know, I, I want to be respectful of our time here and our listeners' time. Thank you for hanging in there. I know you've all been waiting for this show. I've been teasing it up quite a bit. When we talk to people about uh, a TEDx that they would like to go to, when I talk to organizers, nine times out of 10, they want to go to Sydney. And I tell them just buy a plane ticket and get a hold of somebody there and they'd love to have you. And I know there were a lot of organizers there. What TEDx would you like to go to? Um, mm, very good question. Um, I've always wanted to get to uh, TEDx Tokyo. Ah, oh, yes. Um, the I've been to a couple in New Zealand. Oh well, TEDx Amsterdam, of course, for the same reason. Yeah. I know Jim. I've known Jim Stoltz for a long time, and it would be fun to, um, you know, be in the middle of one of those. Um, Rio de la Plata is that? Uh, yeah, Rio answer? de la Plata. Yes. Yeah. Uh, is that Jerry's event? Yeah, I could. I could spend a year just going from TEDx to TEDx. You know, I mean, it's like there's <laughs> eight a day. Um, so I want to. I want to finish. Done. I want to finish up with. Um, the, kind of my favorite part of this, the the reason the show is named Hacking the Red Circle is because I'm always trying to figure out a way to hack something. It's just been my life. I'm my, yeah, yeah. I'm, I wouldn't self-identify as a hacker, but maybe I am. So I think of that as like the that thing that allows you to get this your work done. Well, what's your big hack? I mean, I have one I think that came out that you've already said, but if I ask the question, what would you say your big hack is that makes your event so successful? It's my big hack. Well, I think, um, I think I have. Uh, it's taken me. I'm nearly 50, well. I'm 57. It's taken me a while, but I think I've worked out my personal why. Right, um, my purpose. So my personal purpose is to connect other people. Okay, and you know, and that is manifest through general thinking and yep. and whatever. And once you've figured out your personal purpose, you can translate into an organizational purpose. Yep, and an organizational why. And so the TEDx Sydney organizational why is to connect people with ideas and people with each other as well um, at this much like bigger scale. Um, and, uh, so once you've figured out your personal why translated as your organizational why, then the, the, the third and most important, uh, piece is, is being able to communicate, effectively communicate that organizational why to all of the stakeholders within that, that organism. Uh, and, uh, so I think I've been, I think I'm good at that. I think I'm good at, um, articulating why and communicating same. And um, so that I think, I guess my hack is about um, that aspect of leadership. I love it. I, I was just reading um, Forbes magazine on uh, 
why communication skills were so important to leadership and what what you could tell by leaders by their ability to communicate. And that's basically what you've just said. It's it's an understanding the purpose, then being able to communicate that purpose back out to the team so the team's all on the same page. My um, my lead, uh, a partner in the law firm that's been providing us with um, legal services for a few years has <clears throat> left to move to another country. And she sent me a very sweet email telling me, about her move and she opened it um, with Remo you are an inspiring leader you always find a way to connect with people and make them feel special people go over and above for you because of the way you make them feel so there you go I well see there you go and that's that you and I have been that way uh, since we met one another and I think that's why you're one of the the shining lights out there and and why everybody kind of looks to your event as um, kind of that that gold standard, if you will, of of what they're all trying to do, and whether whether you want to wear that mantle or not, uh, that has been best- I've endowed you with that, my friend. Oh, and I'm, uh, I'm, kneeling. <laughs> I'm kneeling on a red velvet cushion, and I'm tapping you with this I'm sword. I'm very flattered. I'm very humbled by it, and uh, thank you for thank you for and thank you for everybody else who wants to come to our event. Which, by the way, we. We had a taste of it this year with, under Vicky Forbes's direction. Yep. The the, yep. the idea of creating a um, an experience for TEDx organisers that wraps itself around TEDx Sydney. We had thirty organisers from around the world. We we've we've set a target for that thirty to be a hundred next year. So, and Vicky did a great job. You know that they came to our opening night party. They attended um, uh, rehearsals. During the rehearsals, at some stage, uh, a bunch of the senior curators were pulled aside and sat around and did a Q&A with the organizers that were there. Um, then, you know, they came to the event. So, Spectacular. ideally, the day after, there'd be some kind of workshop. So. Although everyone is so exhausted and burnt out. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> when I hear about these people who do workshops right after, I'm like, excuse me, but you need to get out of the way. I'm on my way to Hawaii right now. Thank you very much. Remo, thank you so much for, for sharing uh, this time with us. And people are starting now to look to this show for inspiration, and they're having their teams. Listen, if, you've, if you're listening and uh, you don't have your team listening with you, uh, share the show with them. This is this is one of the keepers. I love all the episodes, but this has been a real highlight for me. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Mark. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to Hacking the Red Circle. Have an idea for a guest for the show? Or would you like to tell us your TEDx story? Just drop me a note in an email to mark at hackingtheredcircle.com. Please be sure to rate, write, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Makes a huge difference. And share the show with your team as we seek to grow our audience around the world. Until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for Hacking the Red Circle.